You are listening to Shining Star Community Church, English Ministries Sunday Message. Please visit us at www.shiningstar.life. I thought it would be nice to you know, take a quick break from Genesis and look at something in the New Testament. So I chose something from the letter of Romans. The book of Romans is actually a letter, a letter that Paul wrote towards the end of his third missionary journey. And he was on his way back to Jerusalem to deliver some the funds that he, he raised for the people who were suffering in Jerusalem. So at this point, you have to understand that Paul never really been or I don't know been but they don't he doesn't know the people in in Rome that well he doesn't know the Christians in Rome that well so he writes a letter to them and it's pretty clear because he's planning to go to Spain and on the way he's planning to stop by and this letter is said by many people that it's the most complete letter written by Paul you know, in verse uh, in chapter Chapter 1, verse 16, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And then he begins to ex explore the wonders of salvation, how everyone has a problem of sin, how everyone, although they, they know God, they never honor the, him, or nor does, do they praise him. So at the end of the day, what Paul says is everyone has a sin problem. Everyone falls short of God's glory. And but thanks be to Jesus Christ. You know, while the wages of sin is death, the free gift of God is eternal life in our Lord Jesus Christ. And so starting from verse, uh, chapter 4 and chapter 5, he explores what it means to be justified, how we, can, or we are saved by the penalty of sin. Starting from chapter 6, he explores how we are saved from the power of sin. And when we get to chapter 7, he talks about how every single day we struggle with the flesh that we struggle with the I, me, and my. And we, when we concentrate on that, the end conclusion is that we are just a wretch. We are helpless. You know, who can save us from this body of death, he says. But in chapter 8, he says, but there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus our Lord. When we walk in the flesh, there's death. But when we walk in the spirit, there's life. That we can call our Father, Abba, through the Spirit. And not only that, that we can endure suffering and have hope in this love that does not wither or fail. And starting from chapter 12, he begins to talk about how the gospel transformed. So not only does it say, not only does the gospel have the power to save, but it has the power to transform people. He explores how you know, we should offer ourselves as a living sacrifice to Jesus. And not only that, that we should not be conformed to this world, but we should be transformed by the renewal of our minds. And he, he kind of elaborates how we should interact with other people. How should we love people around us, people who are close to us, and even people who we don't know well. And not only that, he tells us to love our enemies. And when we get to the final conclusion, chapter 15, it's kind of strange how he ends the letter, right? If he talked about the wonders of salvation... He talked about the transforming power of the gospel. And today, for finally, he says, you know, if you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Christ, if you are justified by faith through the blood of Jesus Christ, if the Spirit of God dwells in you, then you must live with a vision and passion for people, 
for people who are lost. And you must reach them with the gospel. So that's the main idea I want to communicate today. We are called to live with a vision and passion to reach the lost people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is not just given to an individual. It's given to the church. In a simple way, it's talking about a missional life. A life with mission in mind. And today, I want you to see in chapters 15 and 16, I want you to see four foundational principles on how we can carry out this vision and with a passion. So number one, our vision and passion for people must be driven by God. Now, if you look at verse 8 in chapter 15, Paul begins to list four different verses, four different verses from the Old Testament. He quotes it back to back to back to back. You know, every single verse is connected to one single idea. And that idea is that Gentiles will come and know the Lord and praise him for who he is. So the Gentiles, the non-Jews, the lost people of the Old Testament will come and praise God. In the Old Testament, no Jews were God's chosen people. They were the ones who had the tabernacle. They were the ones who had the temple. They were the ones who had all the priests and the Levites. They were the ones who had the privilege to worship God. So it was really unheard of that Gentiles can come and worship God. But you see, God never intended to receive praise just from one nation. No, and we see in Genesis chapter 12, when God blesses Abraham, he blesses his descendants that his descendants will be great. But so what? To be a blessing to others. To be a blessing to all the families of the earth, God says. Even before Israel became a nation, God had a plan to bless the nations through Israel. And look at verse 9 with me. It says, And in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, therefore I'll praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the people exalt him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, and him will the Gentiles hope. So do you see a progression in these verses? You know, God is basically saying that God has a plan for the Gentiles. And in verse, in verse 9, it says that the people of God sing praise among the Gentiles. In verse 10, it says the people of God sing praise with the Gentiles. In verse 11, it says the people of God call the Gentiles to praise him. Now, Paul is quoting from 2 Samuel chapter 22, Deuteronomy 32, and then Psalms 117. And finally, in verse 12, he talks about the root of Jesse which is a phrase that points to the Messiah that is to come in the Old Testament. This Messiah, Paul says in verse 12, will rule over the Gentiles so that they can have hope, so that they can sing everlasting praise to God. Paul quotes verse after verse after verse after verse. One from the Pentateuch, the five books of Moses. One from the historical book. One from Psalms. One from the prophetic books. What is he trying to say? Well, he's pulling these different scriptures to communicate to us that the God of the Old Testament, if you read the Old Testament, the conclusion that you, that you should arrive at is the fact that God has always had a heart for Gentiles, that he was always on a mission to reach out the Gentiles. Have you ever wondered why Paul was so crazy about missions? He's probably one of the most well-known missionaries, most well-known evangelists in church history, right? Why was he so crazy about missions? 
Was it because he had some sort of special revelation by God? Did he know something? Did he have something that we do not have? No. It says that in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less than one. Three times I was beaten with a rod. And once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked a night and a day. I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardships through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. No, Paul struggled when he was on missions. It wasn't something that he just enjoyed, but he was clearly on a mission. Why? Why was he so crazy about missions? Well, it's simply because the Bible says so. No, the Bible that Paul read, when he read the Old Testament, when he converted into a Christian, and when he was saved by grace, when he read the Bible, and by the way, he was an expert in the Old Testament, he started to see things that he did not realize before. And he saw the heart, the missionary heart of God for people. That it's not just limited to the Jews, right? But it's extended. It has always been extended to the Gentiles as well. The nations is what God is after. That is the mission of God. All over the Bible, throughout history, God has been working with a vision and passion to reach lost people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and this was quite obvious for Paul. You know, people go on short-term mission trips for different reasons. You know, some people go so that they can be spiritually rejuvenated. Some people go so that they can get closer to God. Some people go for fun. Some people go so that they can experience new cultures and new people. You know, some people really have a compassionate heart, and they just want to help people. And some people, they just want to go because it makes them feel better. A little bit, they feel a better, to be a better Christian if they go on missions. But for Paul, his vision, his passion for missions, his passion for the lost people was clearly driven by Scripture. When he quotes verse after verse after verse, the Bible that he read screamed out the heart of the Father, how he is after the lost son. God is a missional God, and he has a vision and passion to reach the lost people. Not only that, in verse 8 and 9, look at Verse 8 and 9 with me. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. And in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. So Jesus Christ, one of the members of the Trinity, the Son of God, the greatest teacher of history, he laid down his life. He emptied himself. Paul says he became a servant. And Philippians chapter 2 tells us that not just any servant, but he served to the point of death, dying on the cross. Why? Well, Paul says that so that the Jews would see God's truthfulness, verse 8, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. You see, Jesus lived a with a vision and passion to reach lost people with the gospel. Now, if God was motivated with this vision and passion. If Paul was motivated with this vision and passion, if Jesus himself was motivated with this vision and passion, so should we, right? So our vision and passion for people must be driven by God. It's not driven by compassion. It's not driven by just any other need. But it's driven by God. Number two, our vision and passion for people must be dependent on God. 
Look at me with verse 15. It says, Paul says he's writing this letter because the grace given to him by God. Verse 16, he says that he is a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. And verse 17, he says, in Christ Jesus, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. To bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. Later on, he says, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Like I said before, Paul was the most well-known Christian at that time. He was the evangelist. He was the, the missionary. No one tops Paul. But notice what he's saying. He's saying that, you know, I didn't reach people with good speech. I didn't reach people with good skills. I didn't have a lot of, a lot of money to throw out there so that I can attract people. What he's saying is in verse 15, 16, and 17, I'm able to do what I do because the grace given to me by God, because Christ in me, and because the Spirit of God empowers me so that I can accomplish what I'm supposed to do in Christ. No. We, when we think about reaching out to lost people, the number one excuse is this. I'm not ready. No, I, last, last summer, I had the opportunity to take some of our youth students to Pittsburgh. And they're really nervous. You know, we had a couple of students who, it was their first time, you know, going on a mission trip. And we had seventh graders, eighth graders hitting the streets, Carson Street, which is, uh, is, is one of the most well-known streets for having the most bars in the United States. And they were pretty nervous. But how ready do you have to be in order to share the gospel? How prepared do you have to be? How much do you need to know in order to share the gospel? Think about that for a second. When would you say that, okay, I'm ready to go full on. I'm ready to go out. The truth of the matter is, if you are saved by grace, if you know Jesus Christ and something saved you in the beginning... You have enough to share to others. What saved you should save other people, right? So you really don't have any excuse if you are in Christ. There, are, there is no such thing as different levels, different stages in Christianity. No, it's not like you begin as this baby Christian and then, then after a while you can, you can you know, become a little bit more active at church and the highest level is actually going on missions. That's not how it is, you know. Paul is saying that if you are given and given the grace of God and if you are in Christ and you have the Holy Spirit in you, which is all Christians, then you can go out and share the gospel. The only thing that you need to do is you have to depend on God. You don't receive the credit, but God does. What Paul is saying is you don't need a college degree. You don't need to be fluent in a foreign language. All you need is you need to be a recipient of God's grace. You need to be in Christ, and you need the Holy Spirit. You need to be completely dependent on God. You know, you have to be the sharpest tool in the toolbox. Because when you make yourself available, God is the one who uses you, and he will sharpen you and, and use you. So our vision and passion for lost people must be driven by God. Our vision and passion for lost people must be dependent on God. And our vision and passion for people must be urgent. Look at me with verse 20. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel now, not, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as, as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. So Paul has a clear ambition 
to preach the gospel. But notice what he says. He's not just preaching to people who already know Christ. He's not just going to places that are easy to share the gospel. He's specifically going to places where there's no foundation at all, where the name of Jesus has never been explored in that area. He's going to unreached people. And you might say, you know, that's kind of old school, right? Well, with, with the internet, everyone has access to the gospel. Everyone can, if they just want to, they can look up the gospel. Isn't that true? And why do we have, actually have to go out and seek the lost? Well, even with the internet, the internet has been around for many years. We still have 2.8 billion people who never heard the name of Christ in this world. Out of 7 billion people, we have 2.8 billion people who never heard the name of Christ in this world. I'm not just talking about unbelievers. I'm talking about 2.8 billion people who never heard the name of Jesus Christ. They have no exposure to the gospel. They have no exposure to church. They have no exposure to Christians. You see, there's a tremendous need in this world. Not just in this world, but in this city. We are located in, in a city where it's the center of the world. It's the capital of the United States, the most powerful country. Now, there's about 6 million people in Washington, D.C. And there's 190 different countries that are represented in that city. What's amazing is the fact that 55 people say that they don't affiliate with any religion, meaning they don't have a religion. Only 2% of the population regularly goes to church, and we are just 20 minutes away from this city. We don't have to go overseas to reach the lost. Do many of us just think that these people will be okay? Maybe they'll appear, God will appear to them in dreams or maybe through a burning bush. Or maybe, no, there's this separate criteria where God will judge people who never heard the gospel. Well, the Bible is pretty clear. There's only one criteria. If you believe that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you will be saved. But if not, there is judgment. There is judgment. And that is a scary reality. And that should make us urgent. That should make us desperate to reach people who are lost. You know, this, you might say, why can't God use all these different miracles? Well, it's true that even today, a lot of people see visions. Actually, a lot of Muslims, the way that they come back to Christ is through visions. And I believe in visions. But, you know, in Acts, there are many people who saw visions. There are many, many people who experienced miracles. But not a single person came to Christ because of a vision or, a, or uh, some miracle. There's always a human instrument who explained what that vision was. There's always a human instrument who made that Christ connection. There's always a person who shared the good news, the actual content of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus died for their sins, that Jesus was buried, and when, while he was buried, their sins were buried too. And if they just believe, they can have new life with Jesus Christ. Now, faith comes from hearing, and hearing comes from the word of God. There's no other way. After Paul became a Christian, he didn't spend the rest of his life just singing praise songs and reading the Bible. He didn't spend the rest of his life in a Christian bubble, you know, isolating himself, enjoying the rest of his life. Paul shared the gospel with urgency. And the same way, we need to share the gospel with urgency. So our vision and passion for people must be driven by God. Our vision and passion for people must be dependent on God. Our vision and passion for people must be urgent. And lastly, our vision and passion for missions must be carried out together. Now in verse 23, 
Paul expresses his desire to visit Rome and on his way to Spain. But listen to what he says to the Christians in Rome in verse 23, chapter 15. He says, but now, since I no longer have any room for work in these areas, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. So Paul, Paul is clearly expecting something from the Christians in Rome. He's expecting support. And what kind of support is he expecting? Well, he's expecting financial support first. Because Paul, you know, although he was a tent maker, he made money for a living. And he tried his best to make money so that he could support himself along his journey. If you study the life of Paul, he always had people helping him out. Not just to help support the life of Paul, but to support what Paul is doing with his life. So through those finances, you know, Paul was able to reach out to people who are lost. Not only that, in verse 3, 30, he says this, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. So Paul is asking the church to support him in prayer. So in finances, in prayer, Paul is calling the church to be part of this vision and mission for the lost. He also understands that this vision and passion is not meant to be carried out by an individual. It's meant to be carried out together. It's meant to be carried out by the church. Paul is probably one of the greatest evangelists who ever lived, but if you study his life, he was never alone. He always had a companion. He always had someone next to him. We know better than Paul, right? We need one another. We need the church. God gave this mission to us. The Great Commission is a mission given to the church. So we need to go out and reach out to people. And this becomes even more clear when we hit Romans 16. And in Romans 16, it's interesting. It's just a bunch of names. And these are the passages that you just skip, right? You see, see a list of names and it's like, okay, we're done. You know, okay, you know, it must be nice. You know, Paul is just giving some shout-outs to his people. But it's a little bit more than that. Basically, he's giving, he is giving shout-outs. He's naming name after name after name, person after person. But he's naming people who lived with the same vision and the same passion for lost people. And the same people who lived to reach lost people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. In verse 1, chapter 16, we see Phoebe, a servant of the church, a businesswoman who delivers this message, this letter of Romans to the Roman Christians. In verse 3, we see um, Prisca and Aquila, people who worked with Paul for a long time in Ephesus. In verse 5, we see Epinetus, who was the first convert in Asia. In verse 7, we see people who are in prison with Paul. In verse 13, we see Rufus and his mother, who also was like a mother to Paul. You know, name after name after name, man, woman, single, married, young, old, rich, poor, mother, son, all kinds of people are named. But notice what they have in common. They are united under one God. They are united with one vision and one passion to reach the lost people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, this is what the church is all about. Now, reaching the lost is not just some special assignment for special individuals. It's a task given to the entire church. And we need to work on this together. It needs to be a collective effort. Now, so what are some things that we can do collectively as a church? We can always support in prayer. 
know, we pray for our missionaries, especially in our life group. That's awesome. And we also support them financially. But I don't know if you know this, but if you gave offering today, 50% of that offering actually goes to foreign missions because our church is committed to send funds and support missionaries overseas. You know, we have Love Festival coming up, which is a great opportunity where you can invite your friends, invite your neighbors, invite your coworkers to, to experience the love of Christ in this church so that they can get a taste of what it's like to be in the presence of God. And there are many ways you can get involved in this vision and live with this passion. Not all have to be in the front line like Paul, but every single one of us can list our names in Romans 16. No, the big idea today was we are called to live with a vision and passion for missions with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the question is, what kind of excuses are you making today? You know, when you heard that you were supposed to write out some names, you know, uh, in life group, when you heard that you were supposed to invite some friends at Love Festival, you know, did you get goosebumps? Did you, just thinking about those people, just thinking about talking to those people, you know, is it scary? Yeah, it's scary. But notice that it's scary when we make it all about ourselves. When we make it about God, it's not scary at all. Because he is the one who empowers us. He is the reason why we go out. It's driven by God. He is the one who gives us this urgency. And he is the one who gives us our fellow brothers and sisters so that we can get on this together. So live with a, vi with a vision and with a passion for lost people. You know, every single day, look for people so that you can reach out to them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Well, there's a reason why Paul kind of kept this message until the end of his letter. Because if you don't understand the wonders of God's salvation, if you un don't understand the mercies of God, if you don't understand that he has the power to transform you, there's no way you'll understand that you have to live with this vision and passion for lost people. But if you get this, if you know that the gospel is powerful, that it's the power of God, for those who believe, if you know that the gospel is wonderful, that it saves you and it changes you and empowers you, then you can live up to this mission that God has given to you. What are some of the excuses that you're making? And if you are making some excuses, my prayer is that you replace those excuses with truth today. If you don't understand the heart, missionary heart of God, maybe you should go home and read the book of jo Jonah. Maybe you should read some of the prophets, how God is desperate to seek the nations. If you are scared to reach out to your coworkers or, or friends, maybe you should be reminded that it's not about you, but you're dependent on God. Maybe if you don't have the urgency to seek after the loss, maybe you should go and read Luke 15 and 16, where it talks about the rich um, young person, young, young ruler, and Lazarus, where hell is a reality, not a fantasy. Maybe if you are struggling to do this on your own, maybe you should reach out to a brother and sister next to you, ask for prayer, and ask that they will pray for you so that you can be in this thing with them, not alone. So let's pray and respond to the word of God.